What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode on the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. In this quick solo episode, I am going to talk about the worst deal that I have ever done and the four things that I learned from it and the big four takeaways from the aftermath of that deal. So this one's going to be a cautionary tale for those investors out there that are looking to um, you know, either get into real estate, fundamentally speaking, or get into larger projects, get into projects in a different asset class. Um, learn from my mistakes, long story short. And um, I'm going to share the big four things I learned from uh, the worst deal that I have done. So a uh, little backstory on the deal itself before I get into some of the takeaways here. Um, this was a project that I did probably five years or so ago now. It was you know maybe my third deal um, in the business, third deal that I had ever done. And it was a small uh, duplex flip uh, in a town up in New Hampshire. And um, so this is a long time ago. And before you, again, you know, click off this episode or mentally check out because you're not in the flipping game, um, neither was I at the time. This was something that I was either looking to flip or hold as a rental. But I think the, the, list, the, the lessons, I should say, are applicable regardless of your strategy, right? So I'm going to apply them to, to real estate investing in general. So a little disclaimer here before we continue along with this story and, and some of the takeaways. So uh, this was a deal that I had bought um, at a foreclosure auction, um, basically as is sight unseen, bought it at a really, really compelling price. And, um, you know, looking back at the price I paid that, you know, the price was, I bought it right. I paid the right amount of money for it. So that wasn't the issue. And, um, the area was also great. You know, it was located in a very, very good neighborhood, unbelievable school district, tons and tons of demand for, uh, small multifamily properties, both from investors and owner occupants. So everything checked the box in that respect, but all of the challenges came in the execution of actually turning the property around and renovating it. And, um, you know, that leads me to the first big takeaway from this deal, which was, uh, that I bit off more than I could chew. And it is a really dangerous, uh, you're, it, it's, it's really, really tough to recover on a deal. If you are buying a deal that is totally outside of what you've done in the past, whether it's the market, whether it's the scope of rehab, you know, in terms of the renovation scope and the budget that you have from a construction standpoint, um, or, you know, it's just in an asset class that you've never done a deal in. Uh, and, and if you blend all of those things together with a deal that's larger than what you've done, you know, you could be in for some, some pain. And that's what I did here was, you know, this was a about $120,000, $130,000 renovation, which at the time was far bigger than anything I'd historically done, which was just, you know, light apartment turnovers and stuff like that. And, um, and this was basically a gut rehab in two separate units due to water damage, due to some mold. And, uh, and, you know, after it got renovating, we were going to be putting back a higher end kitchen, higher end bathroom, and just doing a higher end renovation overall. And to make a long story short, things did not go as planned. And I was venturing into uncharted territory and I just didn't have the experience to know how to handle a lot of the issues that I was facing, right? I had not done a, a, a deal of that size from a reno standpoint. So Gathering quotes was more challenging. Understanding exactly what finishes to use was more challenging. Um, understanding, you know, which work came first and the timeline of how work was completed was challenging. And, you know, I, I think that the that the takeaway is obviously don't bite off more than you can chew from a deal standpoint. But if you are going to get into a deal that is outside of your zone of genius, you need to bring somebody in that has done that type of deal before and then can 
basically protect your downside and to help you, you know, navigate that process and to help you not make the really, really expensive mistakes. And I think this is especially true for deals that have a construction components. It is so easy to go over budget. It is so easy for timelines to extend. It is so easy for a deal to go completely sideways when construction is a core component of the business plan, right? Whether that's multifamily, flipping houses, development, whatever. So be sure that if you are getting into a project that is above and beyond what you've done and there's a, a large construction budget or large relatively to what you've done in the past that you're bringing someone in who can help you. Now, takeaway number two and lesson number two was um, you need to hire the right team to work on the deal and to help you achieve the business plan, to execute the business plan, I should say, for that specific deal. And what I did on this deal was I hired the same contractor and crew that did, you know, kind of C-class, low to mid-grade unit turns in my apartments to do a higher-end renovation. And every contractor is going to tell you that they can do the work that you are proposing. It is extraordinarily rare that a contractor will say, oh, no, I, you know, I, don't, I don't typically do that. I wouldn't be the right person for that job. Every contractor is going to say they can do every single job. Like just if you're depending on them to, to self-select themselves out of a job, you're going to, <laughs> you're going to be, you're not going to find that's going to happen, long story short. So uh, I basically hired the wrong type of contractor to do the work that we were looking to do in the property. And the work was not done at the same standard that we were expecting it to be done. It was not done um, in accordance with the type of buyer or resident that we were looking to achieve upon sale. And, um, you know, just the work was just shoddy, right? Comparatively to what we were hoping to do. And when you're doing a C-class apartment turnover, you know, if the paint job isn't a hundred percent perfect, or if the flooring isn't installed a hundred percent perfectly, yeah, it's problematic, but it's not like the end of the world where versus if you're doing a higher end reno, like you all, you have to do all that work over again because the market isn't going to, to respond well to that. So we hired just the wrong people. And there was all, all kinds of other stories as related to his crew, stealing materials and just, you know, being at the job site and not working and just not doing anything. And, uh, I just wanted to narrow the takeaway as it relates to aligning the team with the deal. And, um, you know, again, you obviously need to really, really vet folks outside of that as well, which is a whole nother conversation. Uh, an example of this in multifamily, cause I want to tie this to multifamily a little bit is let's say you're buying a C-class multifamily property, you know, regardless of there's a big construction scope or not. And the property management company that you hire to manage that property primarily manages B and A class apartment buildings that you're just, that's not going to be a good fit. Um, property managers that are used to dealing with the problems and issues at the A and B class level of tenant is just not going to last a week managing C class tenants. Like that is just not a good fit. They're not equipped to, to emotionally handle a lot of those problems. Their systems and processes are probably not built out thoroughly enough to handle the challenges in, in managing C-class property. The leasing process might not be the same. You know, they're, Basically, the whole business is not built to manage that type of asset. And the inverse is also true. If you're buying an A-class property and you're hiring a property management company that primarily manages C-class properties, you're also going to face challenges. They might not have the same level of customer service that another A-class property manager would, which not you know which might turn off some of the residents in that property. They may not 
turn units the same way in terms of you know achieving the same level of finish similar to what i was talking about in the deal that i did that went wrong right so you need to to make sure that your team is aligned throughout um, in terms of the types of deal that you're buying and all of the people that are going to be working on renovating managing involved in that deal so takeaway number two uh, team was wrong for the deal and make sure you avoid that in deals that you do takeaway number three when things start to go wrong with a deal, you just got to tie. You just got to move on. You just have to get out of that deal quickly. And this has been something I've learned on a few deals, right? But this is really what I started to learn on this deal specifically. And the real challenge investors face with this one is that investors don't like to admit that they're wrong or admit defeat, right? I think the ego starts to come in here where you're like, no, 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 we can turn it around. We can turn it around. We can hire a new team. We can. Uh, you know, bring in a new property manager, we can bring in a new GC, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We can, we can make this deal make sense and we can turn this deal around, whatever, however that's defined and whatever the deal is. However, oftentimes when a deal starts to go wrong and it is going wrong and things aren't going according to plan, you're going over budget, you might not be able to achieve the same rents that you thought you could, rather than doubling down and trying to continue to turn the ship around, Oftentimes, it makes sense to just cut your losses and just move on, right? To not become emotionally tied to the success of a deal and to just move on when deals are not going well. And there's, you know, we could do some financial analysis around this where, you know, that, that support the concept of throwing good money after bad. Um, but I'm going to, to just talk about it from a time investment standpoint. The mental energy, uh, which is not even time, but just the mental energy that you allocate to a bad deal that's going wrong is so much better spent on pursuing good opportunities. The actual time that you're spending managing that deal, whether it's managing the contractor, visiting the site, speaking with your PM, et cetera, et cetera, is again, better spent looking for good deals. Um, and just the overall strain from a financial standpoint that a bad deal has on you personally and has on your business is so much more impactful when you consider the opportunity, opportunity costs of where those resources could be allocated elsewhere. And again, I think a lot of investors intuitively understand this, but the ego gets in the way and we're so allergic to admitting defeat that we just keep driving the boat in the wrong direction, even if we think we can turn it around. And um, oftentimes it's just, you, sometimes you just do a bad deal. Sometimes you just buy a lemon, right? And you just get in, you just underwrote it wrong. You bought it in the wrong area and that's it. And you just have to tie it off quickly. And uh, I'm going to use an analogy from a Bourne movie because I'm a huge fan of the Bourne movies here. Uh, in the Bourne Supremacy, Brian Cox, the guy that plays... Uh, uh, Ward, I think is his name, basically a CIA operative. He says to to Pamela Landy in this movie, who's out there looking for Jason Bourne, they're trying to find him and they just keep failing. And he just says, Pam, we're professionals. Like when an op goes bad, we tie it off and we move on. And it's like, that's it. You just, you got to cut your losses. You just have to walk away from a deal that is not going according to plan instead of continuing to invest time, mental energy and resources into that deal. So, um, that's takeaway number three is just if things are going wrong, embrace the fact that you can cut your losses and just do something else and be mentally okay and emotionally okay with taking a loss on a deal. Now, that's, you know, and I'm going to give a big asterisk there. That's assuming that your own resources are in the deal. If you have investor capital in the deal, you owe it to your investors to do everything you can to recoup their money, right? And that's a bit of a separate conversation, but I think the premise still fundamentally applies. And takeaway number four is that fast cash with no risk is better than moderate cash with massive risk. You know, a small quick return that's risk-free is better than, 
you know, a, a, you know, a more moderate return, but that comes with massive risk, especially when it comes to execution risk. So let me apply that to this deal and to, you know, real estate in general. So shortly after we closed on this, we're getting into the, you know, we're getting into demo or starting to start, we're beginning the construction process. Um, I had another investor in that market who was like, you know, Hey man, I'll pick that up for a little bit more than you paid. You know, we'll try and structure the deal in such a way that you walk away with 25, 30 grand, something like that. And, um, and I was thinking at the time, yeah, that's, that's good money, right? That's, that's, that's appealing. But if I just go ahead and continue renovating this property and I go take it to market, I, you know, based on my projections, I think I can make 80, 90, a hundred grand. Right. Um, but you know, and at the time at that age that I was at that, that, that pot of gold was much more alluring, right. In terms of actually taking the deal to the end zone, but looking back, Obviously, I lost a bunch of money on this deal. It did not go according to plan. I much would have rather have taken that quick money and just gotten out of it. Um, so I, I am being results oriented in a way. But I think it speaks to just a more significant concept or a more fundamental concept, which is if you can make money by you know very quickly in a short amount of time and you're not putting any of your own resources at risk, be it capital or time, that's oftentimes going to be a better decision than accepting all of the execution risk for a deal, right? Especially for deals that have a significant renovation component, you know, a real extensive business plan that needs to be implemented in order to achieve those returns. And you're also exposing yourself to changes in the marketplace, right? Um, you know, if a, if a, if a project's going to take 12 to 18 months to wrap up and you stand to make some large amount of money, a few hundred grand, but you can just assign the contract in the short term and make 50 grand, I, you know, I think people just tend to always go for what they believe to be the biggest payday when in reality, there should be a more nuanced conversation around the differences between those two opportunities. And at this point, I am much more open to assigning contracts, to flipping deals, to taking shorter term, faster cash. If the deal itself has a lot of risk from an execution standpoint. Now, you know, if you're looking at like 50 grand to assign a contract, but you can make 200 by just closing it and you know, just bumping the rents and the property's in perfect shape and there's no construction required and, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then, yeah, I mean, obviously maybe in that situation you have a longer discussion, but, but basically I think that there needs to be more thought uh, allocated to, um, what is the risk reward profile of the money that I am making? And I think people just look at the absolute value dollars, right. In terms of how much money they can make on a deal. And they don't consider all of the different components of the deal from a risk standpoint. So, Takeaway number four, fast cash with no risk is better than moderate cash with massive risk. And, uh, you know, just a fundamental commentary on risk adjusted returns. So I hope these takeaways were helpful for you. I hope these help you think about deals that you're underwriting or potentially buying in a different way. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, every once in a while, you do a bad deal. You do a deal that you invest a lot of time and money in where you make no money or you maybe you'll lose a couple bucks. And um, that's okay because if you're in this game long enough, you are not going to hit your projections every single time. Every deal is not going to go according to plan every single time. It's just the law of math. And I think um, the last five, six years have really, really given people the impression that real estate always goes up, rents always go up, deals always go well. And um, that's just not the case, right? It's that, you know, every once in a while you just do something that's, <laughs> or you buy a deal or you get into a deal where you're forced to learn some things on the fly and you make some mistakes. So, understanding when you're when that's happening in the moment and preparing for it is really the best thing that we can do as investors so 
I hope this episode was enjoyable. And, um, you know, again, if you've learned something in this episode and you feel comfortable sharing this with your network, whether that's throwing it on your Instagram story or posting about it on LinkedIn or, you know, texting it to a friend or a colleague of yours, would really, really appreciate it as that helps, uh, you know, us grow the show, helps us continue to produce great content for those listening to the podcast. But uh, thanks again as listening and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.